guns and money. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. This is episode 72. You'll remember my voice, Dan Lust. Dan Wallach is on a very super secret assignment I've been told might change the sports betting world forever. I'm paraphrasing, but Dan said it's very important and it has to do with, obviously, sports betting because that's what he does. So uh, last episode, we were joined by Mike Lawson, and Mike is back with us. And Mike, why don't you say hi before I introduce our other guest for the show? Dan, good to be back. Thanks for having me again. Alongside Mike is the fourth member of Conduct Detrimental. That's Taryn Sharma, who you will have heard maybe on the Minnesota Live episode because uh, Taryn was emceeing it. Taryn, welcome to Conduct Detrimental, a first for you, my friend. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be able to be here and talk with you guys today. We got a lot to break down uh, and just kind of behind the scenes. You know, we like to put these episodes out once a week so we can kind of stay current on the pulse. So we try to, obviously, for those new listeners to Conduct Detrimental, we try to really do a recap of everything that happened in the past week. It's almost like last week tonight with John Oliver, except it's whenever we get around to recording an episode in that given week. So a lot of things have happened on a, on a number of fronts, but this episode, we're going to have some focus on basketball because uh, today when we're recording this on Tuesday, December 22nd is the opening night of the NBA. So we're going to have some topics there. College sports is very much in the vernacular. And then the, the one that I've been spending a lot of time touching on social media is the Dan Snyder uh, ongoing saga. So just when Washington won five straight games, they are back in the toilet bowl of public relations. So we will get into that. First and foremost, we're going to talk about the big issue, big story last week, Kawhi Leonard, uh, a very random lawsuit from some random individual, which we kind of made a joke of. Uh, TMZ reported it, that Kawhi Leonard was suing Jerry West, that he was owed $2.5 million because this guy helped the Clippers land Kawhi. We all had a fun laugh until the NBA announced they were launching an investigation into Kawhi. So... Interesting. So we're going to get into that. That's uh, that's number one on the docket. Number two on the docket, we're going to talk about Dan Snyder, all things Dan Snyder, his uh, lawsuit, ongoing lawsuit with the minority um, shareholders of the Washington football team. Some updates with uh, maybe some Dwayne Haskins stuff. Um, but the big one is the sexual assault allegations involving a former employee of the Washington football team, which Dan Snyder allegedly paid $1.6 million. Some very expensive hush money, so we'll get into that. Number three, the late great Kobe Bryant has been uh, back in the news recently. Number one, obviously, with the opening of basketball, we're getting a lot of uh, Lakers stories about how they did it for Kobe. But the other reason is, is the lawsuit reason. Vanessa Bryant was sued by her mother, of all people, and there's been some sniping in the media, so we want to get into that. All things Kobe. And last, we spent a large portion of last week's episode talking about the future of college sports. And so Taryn is a, a law student at Minnesota Law School. And Taryn wrote a paper, in addition to helping us kind of detrimental, obviously he knows a lot about sports law, he's very involved, wrote a paper for the Student Sports Law Network website about really where amateurism was going. So we talked about it last week, that it was going to the Supreme Court level. And Taryn is with us to help break down some of the legislation uh, on that front. So with that being said, guys, I can talk all day. Let me turn it over to our first topic, Mike, I kind of gave a little bit of an intro. Why don't you fill us all in on, on the latest with this Kawhi saga and how it's turned into an NBA investigation? As you said, a random person, this Johnny Wilkes came out of the woodworks saying that he is best friends with Kawhi's uncle, which has come up in the past last year with the allegations of, of tampering. Uncle Dennis. Uncle Dennis. As, he, as, uncle as he's Dennis. called. Yeah. Dennis Not Robinson. Uncle Drew. Uncle Dennis. Uncle Dennis. Yes. So he claims that Jerry West agreed to pay him $2.5 million to bring in Kawhi somehow. When this all kind of surfaced, Kawhi said that that was ridiculous. He said that 
that wasn't the reason that he went to LA. He just said that, you know, he grew up in LA. He's from Moreno County, you know, that that's where he wanted to be. And that was that. So it's Johnny Wilkes guy then said that when they were celebrating after signing Kawhi, he again said that he was going to still pay him what he owed him the $2.5 million for allegedly getting Kawhi to, to come to the Clippers. I mean, some of these claims are just baseless. I mean, he said that he told Jerry that he had to tell Kawhi that he'll have a great life as a Clipper now and after basketball. He will do whatever it takes to compete with the Lakers against LeBron. This is all the stuff that the Clippers were going to tell him. Every team was probably telling that to Kawhi when they were trying to get him to sign for the team. So I, that was just ridiculous. I mean, his claims are basically unjust enrichment, saying that you know he suffered a cruel and unjust hardship for all the work that he did, and that he wouldn't have gone through, you know, jumped through so many hoops to help get Kawhi to to come to LA. I mean, this whole thing, besides the lawsuit puts the NBA in an interesting situation because they've already looked into these allegations with Uncle Dennis. They already said that there was no tampering and they ruled that nothing you know, came about it. And then now we have, to, we have to go back to this NBA constitution, Article 35A, which says that any attempt for these indirect communications made with a player when they're already in a contract with another team is a violation of the constitution. And then they will suffer penalties, which in the past, this, these tampering rules are fines that Adam Silver has done. So I think what's interesting about the lawsuit is I think it's in the best interest if something was shady. The Clippers are going to settle. If, if anything was like possibly there, if the Clippers settle, then what happens is the NBA, they don't have any power to go after anything that happens in that settlement. I mean, there could be a non-disclosure agreement in this settlement. And then the NBA's, for lack of a better term, they're screwed. They, they, they don't have to get can anything I, Johnny Wilkes says. Can I stop you for a second, Mike? Because there's one thing that, that I, I keep seeing people with this issue talk about tampering. So as far as I'm concerned, right, Kawhi Leonard at that point in time was a free agent. So tampering rules don't seem to apply to a free agent. So if he's obviously with the Raptors, it's more of an issue, right? Everyone who's, who knows he's leaving the Raptors, so whatever. But at the time, he's a free agent. So from a NBA governance standpoint, I don't really see an issue with it. What I do see an issue with is the part, um, which, again, I thought it was really funny, but I guess there might be some truth to it. The allegation that this guy, I'm going to call him random guy, and until there's some validity, like validity's claim, I'm not calling him Johnny Wilkes, he can just be random guy. But he's alleging that as part of this agreement with Jerry West, you know, who's, who's with the Clippers organization, that he brokered a deal to give Uncle Dennis a home, a private home that I guess the Clippers helped contribute to, and a private expense account. So I think it's kind of the kickback scheme, almost it's similar to like an AAU scandal. So I don't know. I, I think that's the, the dirty part of it. Taryn, where do you kind of weigh in on this? I couldn't agree with you more. It, it really does seem like uh, one of those college booster kind of situations where the, the handler is asking for allegedly some extra inducements. And there was, you don't have, you don't were, have to say allegedly on this one. It's not the Dan Snyder topic. We'll say allegedly on that one. When he was in talks with the Lakers during his free agency, there were uh, sources that were saying that, that uncle Dennis did call Jeannie bus a few times and mentioned these extra inducements. And she basically told him these are legal and we're not gonna, we're not going to do it. 
I do find it really interesting. There's just so much smoke around Kawhi's free agency decision to go to LA. And, and even with what he said that, you know, I, I grew up here. I love being in LA. I want to be here. There was the big report last year after they got eliminated from the Western conference finals, blowing that three, one lead that Kawhi is always late for flights. He lives in San Diego. I mean, for a guy that is from LA or that really wants to be seen as being part of that community, just kind of live there, which I think is interesting, but there's these various issues at stake. And I do think that it's interesting that the NBA investigation is going to continue kind of parallel to the lawsuit. The Clippers have to be careful about this too, because Kawhi has a player option after the end of this year. So if they screw this up, they could very well lose Kawhi as well. If, if something goes wrong with the PR around this, I mean, Kawhi, Kawhi will opt out. They, he has that at the end of this year. So that's that's something that they have to, to be very careful with. And you mentioned the Bucks being fined earlier this week. The Bucks were fined last year too with this tampering stuff. I think it was 25K when um, the Bucks co-owner had a couple of comments about Davis. I mean, Silver is not he's not afraid to, to throw these fines out regarding tampering. And then even the beginning of this year, they said that they were going to have heightened penalties for the tampering thing. So the other thing is that the Clippers gave up a ton of draft capital in order to get Paul George there in order to really induce Kawhi to sign. And so it really, it might cost them the most if they are unable to keep Kawhi happy. And, and based on how things ended in San Antonio, it's not necessarily clear that, or, or it is clear rather that Kawhi is, not really wedded to any of these organizations. He's looking out for what's going to be best for him and good for him. I'll put a pin in it. I mean, uh, I, I was reading, um, you know, I, I read way too many of these different articles, but probably an interesting subplot in this. Paul George recently signed a long extension to remain with the Clippers. And I guess as part of that, George reached out to Kawhi and said, hey, I'm thinking of signing this contract and just give him a heads up. So Kawhi was basically quoted as saying, I'm planning to, uh, I don't know the exact quote, but I'm paraphrasing, but unless I get hurt, I'm not going to, I'm going to decline the player option. Just makes sense. So, you know, to, to both of your guys point, I mean, if Kawhi leaves the Clippers after two years, I mean, it's just, just a really bad luck. Uh, I just want to, uh, before we, it'd be remiss if we didn't bring this up. So I'm reading from the initial TMZ story. And I guess before I get into this, I think it is so interesting that these NBA reports that were coming out on this, they said that the NBA is launching an investigation based on the TMZ story. So, you know, sometimes uh, TMZ does a service, right? They, they're getting the story out first. And the NBA clearly was not aware of this, but I'm just going to read from the, the last part of this article, which I think is so funny. Wilk says Kawhi ultimately agreed to sign with the Clippers in late July, dot, dot, dot. He went for a celebratory meal with West and others in Beverly Hills. Wilkes claims West agreed yet again at the dinner to fork over $2.5 million for all the help, but Wilkes claims in the suit he still hasn't received a penny. So I just had so much fun envisioning this. Like, first of all, okay, you say what you want about Jerry West. There is no way he's inviting random guy to dinner, okay? There's a chance, right, if Wilkes is friends with Uncle Dennis, that like maybe Uncle Dennis told him, hey, we're going out to some meal. Why don't you come meet us there? And Wilkes maybe showed up, right? And he's like, hey, Jerry, you owe me my two and a half million. Like, and then like Jerry's like, sure, sure. Crazy Johnny Wilkes, like we'll get you two and a half million. Like, I, I just think that this part being that like little weird snapshot, like I, they, I think they thought that was like their ace in the hole. Like, hey, he was at the dinner, but like, 
I don't know, these entourages that people roll with, like uh, there could be 20 people there. That literally means nothing. And guys, right. If, if Jerry West just said like, Hey, like out of totally out of context, Hey, sure. I'll give you your money, whatever. We got Kawhi. I'm so happy. Like doesn't really mean anything. So I think the lawsuit truthfully is still absolute garbage, but you know, uh, I, I do find it interesting. It's not something that I've ever seen that the NBA is launching an investigation based on a TMZ story. So give some credit to TMZ. They, they came across this. So now our second topic. I think that this is probably the main story. I mean, if we had to pick, maybe we'll do superlatives at the end of the year. But I think the Dan Snyder saga with the Redskins has probably been the biggest story in sports for like the last half of the year. This is just, I mean, maybe just Washington football team, but it's like everything from Darius Geis to the name change. It's just, you know, to the toxic culture, now to these bombshell text messages. It's just like the franchise is cursed. I mean, like, you know, I, I just... I don't really know what other way to say it. It's just like, it's just a drip, drip, drip of really bad news. Okay, so I'm going to give the, the gist of it. We basically had four different developments since we last reported. So, so what happened, Dan Snyder's currently involved in litigation. We've touched on this lawsuit before. Uh, minority owners are trying to sell their shares in Washington football team. And they tried to sell those shares a couple months ago, really in the midst of this, uh, the report of the toxic workplace, the sexual allegations involving coworkers. There was a number of firings done. So they tried to sell a while ago. I guess they were trying to line up buyers, but they couldn't. And part of the reason they couldn't is because Dan Snyder was blocking the sale to other people. Just kind of keep that in mind. So that lawsuit exists. It's been going on for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And the Washington Post and the NFL both filed motions to intervene in that lawsuit. Washington Post said, hey, this is newsworthy. We want to know what's going on. We want to know this stuff behind the scenes. They shouldn't have a seal of you know, secrecy behind these what should be public documents for a lawsuit. So Washington Post won that lawsuit. They got awarded documents very recently, I think probably about a week and a half ago. A number of documents came out of that. The one that I know Taryn uh, thought was very interesting, I did as well. We'll say a very thinly veiled uh, blackmail, extortion, whatever you want to call it. The uh, attorney that's uh, representing the minority shareholders in the team basically sent Dan Snyder a text message that in a way says, you know what I know, I can make this a shit show. It's the, and I'm going to mess up the quote, but it's the really bad stuff that I know. So that tells you that there's more to come. So I guess that's number one in the story today. We knew that there were allegations of improper conduct, you know, maybe with some sexism in the organization and maybe some uh, sexual misconduct with respect to other employees that have since been let go from the team. We did not know that any of those allegations directly tied to Dan Snyder's conduct. And that's the news today. I, I kind of alluded to at the front of $1.6 million hush money that's being paid to a former coworker regarding, uh, regarding incident on Snyder's private plane, which is by no means a good look. On the same day, um, you know, not necessarily relevant to sports law, just, you know, when it rains, it pours. Dwayne Haskins, who at one point in the recent uh, history was the QB of the future. He goes to a strip club without a mask on the day after the game, and now he's apologizing. And then, maybe the worst of all of them, there's a report that Dan Snyder is thinking of making Washington football team the permanent name change. So, Taryn, let me, let me toss it to you. What do you make of this whole saga? I don't even know where to start. A little about me. I, I grew up a fan of this organization, unfortunately, I'm from the D.C. area. And so, yeah, I, I grew up rooting for this team. So it's nothing new, I guess. And, and for a long time, Washington fans were clamoring for Bruce Allen to get the axe, former president, thinking that that would lead to some change. And, and to some extent it has. But really, this uh, this fish is rotten from the, the head down. So like you mentioned, there's these two opposite 
issues that are really like converging here. So you have the sale that is trying to happen. So these investors who own 40% of the team, Snyder himself owns about 40% of the team. His sister owns 12%. His mother owns like 6%. So he is the controlling shareholder and he has all of the voting rights. So when these minority shareholders who hold about 40% of the team told him in May that they wanted to sell the team, he kicked them off the board and denied them access to financial records. So that's totally, why they- Totally normal. I mean, like all owners hate totally. their minority. Totally normal. Totally yeah, dance minor. <laughs> they kick them off the board and, and because he has all the voting rights. And the $900 million sale that you mentioned earlier, they were going to sell sell that 40% to some California-based investors, and Snyder has been blocking the sale. So that's what the suit is about. And currently, the NFL's arbitration efforts have been enjoined as a result of that. So they're going to let this uh, court proceeding, which was filed in the U.S. District Court in Maryland, go forward. So when the 15 women came forward in the Washington Post article in June that they had been the targets of sexual harassment by uh, former executives with the team. And then there was an additional 25 women, including some cheerleaders who said that they were also the subject of, of sexual harassment. So it was during that investigation by Beth Wilkinson that discovered these documents of this $1.6 million settlement. And so at that time, then David Donovan, who's the former general counsel for the then Redskins, sued Beth Wilkinson and tried to stop her from disclosing this, this confidential settlement. And then later, Mr. Donovan dropped that case, but they're going to allow those documents to be released with very minor redactions. So this is a, a really interesting situation because you know, we, we were talking about the Clippers earlier. We never really got to find out whether the NBA could have or would have forced Donald Sterling to sell the Clippers because it was settled in probate court and Shelly Sterling was, uh, was all for selling the team. Now, in 2016-17, there was an SI article that uh, detailed four different instances of inappropriate workplace conduct by Jerry Richardson, the then owner of the Panthers. And, and that led to the NFL more or less forcing the sale of that franchise to David Tepper. So Dan and Mike, do you see the NFL going that way? Or, or do you think that Dan Snyder is, is safe for now? In the same context that they were so hesitant to get rid of the, the, the team named Redskins, Snyder is going to do everything he possibly can to, to not sell the team. I mean, it could get to a point. This is, I mean, Dan, you mentioned TMZ getting some bombshell information. I mean, the Washington Post is having one hell of a year. I mean, their bombshell articles are, every time they come up, it is just mind-blowing. So this $1.6 million settlement, Taryn, you said the redactions are going to be minor. I don't believe that. They're fighting over this redaction right now. That is going to be completely blocked out. You're going to, there's going to be, I think it's going to be the opposite where minimal information is going to be viewed by the public. It's, it's basically going to say $1.6 million was handed over. That's it. Like, I don't, I don't know. There, there's going to be an extreme fight on that. And whatever comes about that, I think the NFL can definitely 
force Snyder's hand, force this minority, you know, the minority sale and, and the, the sale of the, the the Washington football team, whoever wants to buy such a bleak name like that. Uh, the, the division leading Washington football team. Not for long, not for long. So there was an interesting um, conversation that somebody dropped or somebody asked me, I was thinking about it. So, you know, you, you don't get $1.6 million unless there is, we'll say, an end, non-disclosure agreement, what we'd call an NDA. So you, you pay in 1.6, just so everyone realizes, like, that's an obscene amount of money to pay for a private settlement. Like, you know, even at the Harvey Weinstein saga, um, and obviously there's been numbers of you know, uh, people being paid to, to like be quiet, but $1.6 million seems to be an outlier. It seems to be a very high number. So obviously attached to that is a provision that says, if you talk about the case, you'd have to pay us back 1.6 or sometimes some of these contracts not only do you have to pay 1.6, you have to pay a penalty on top of that. So, you know, there's everyone that signs these has a number, you know, you have 1.6 million reasons not to uh, break the NDA. So let it, that being said, this is 2009 incident. So obviously something, you know, this is now 11 years later, what could have possibly caused this to come to the surface? Oh, the NFL's investigation into the Washington football team. Now, this former employee, right? We've never heard of this, right? This, as far as I know, I don't, I don't think the NFL was, was aware of this beforehand. So this came up during the course of the employment, so, or the, the investigation. So somebody asked me, is the woman going to have to fork back over the 1.6? And I said, well, just because the NFL and now we are, are aware of the issue of this, the fact of the settlement and maybe some details related to it, it doesn't mean that she was the one that broke the terms of that agreement. So it's possible, right? You know, if I'm Dan Snyder's number two or number three in the organization, I might just have known about that lawsuit and maybe I let it slip uh, at some point during my conversations with the NFL. I am not exactly sure what, what happened, but keep that in mind. You know, when the NFL is coming up against you, you know, like we've saw, we've talked about this in pre prior episodes. Sometimes if you're like the Houston Astros situation, it makes sense to say absolutely nothing because, you know, the NFL by itself has no subpoena power. But somebody let it slip because this was not something we knew about before. So now, Taryn, to your initial question, you know, from what I remember about Jerry Richardson, Don Sterling is a little bit of a different boat. And I think, Mike, what I thought you were going to say, I think TMZ broke the Donald Sterling tape. I think they had that, that tape with... Uh, v. Stiviano. V. Stiviano, but they had that recorded tape. So, yeah, TMZ was at the heart of this. But, you know, he... He said some racist things. And, you know, in our culture, you know, that's that's worthy of cancellation. Obviously, Sterling had a, a longer history, so it wasn't such a it wasn't as different as maybe different other topics. But, you know, with with Richardson, he a little bit different. It was, you know, more of a racist racial tone, but it was like an it was like an old school race. Just this whole he was just institutionalized racism similar to Sterling. Now, this is. Uh, it's different. I don't know if it's worse or if it's better. I mean, you can make the argument that it's worse, but this is a, an owner of a team directly involved with a sexual assault allegation regarding one of its employees. I've never heard of someone in professional sports having that type of allegation. So it's pretty scary if you're Dan Snyder to be the first to set a precedent, right? If you have, if you're an owner, there's an allegation or there is some potential truth to committing sexual assault against one of your employees. What happens? We don't know. And you never want to be the first, especially in this day and age where cancel culture does exist for, for better, or for worse. So I think, and I don't mean to get your hopes up, Taryn, as a Washington football fan, but I think that this is the character and nature of an allegation, if established, that could force the NFL's hand. This is not incompetent ownership like the Wilpons. This is something pretty messy. And it's like, guys, 
five, six, seven, eight, nine stories that are all coming out of Washington. So at a certain point, Goodell's going to have to step in. It doesn't matter that the Washington market is one of the main markets in football. It's a black spot uh, on the Wash- on the NFL. So it wouldn't shock me if there was some serious ramifications directly uh, against Dan Snyder that came with this. And I also just want to add that when the initial story breaks in July, I think that it's really interesting that this, the the statement that's released by ownership at that point is both Dan and his wife, Tanya. And ordinarily, a lot of the other statements that, that he's made when he was like, you know, basically, we're not going to change the team over my dead body kind of statement. <laughs> Never. You can print it. He, he makes those statements on his own. But in this instance, it's suddenly convenient for him to to make it on behalf of he and and on behalf of Tanya. So I think that there is it's so clear that there is just a wretched culture in that front office. And at best, he ignored it. And at worst, he was actively participating in and and fostering that that sort of culture. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that it's in the NFL's best interest and. And they could really revitalize this market. This is always going to be a, when I was growing up, people used to say there's a Redskins town and whoever's winning second. And uh, the other teams have been winning recently. The Caps won a Stanley Cup. The Nats won a World Series. The Wizards made the playoffs. It, this could be a Washington team again, but it's, uh, it's not right now. Speaking of those Wizards turn, I am all aboard the Wizards hype train. Let's go over 33 wins. I'm taking it. The bar is set very low. They're going to they're gonna win 45 games, and they're going to upset the Bucks in the first round. Do you realize that there's only 72 games of the season? Okay, 45 oh. is saying a lot. Oh, my goodness. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah. 45 yeah. is like – that's like the yeah. best team in the game. No, but 45 out of 82? 45 out of 82 is like, okay, 500. <laughs> but that's like a 60. Pretty good. I agree with everything you said. And I think I, you know, I, I actually do. I wasn't necessarily just joking. The fact that the owner of like right now, let's say we didn't talk about any of these sexual assault allegations, anything that they, you know, they failed to honor Sean Taylor for about you know, however many years, you know, I think it's been 13 years. You know, this is the first year they're honoring Sean Taylor. There's a lot of things that the Redskins have, Redskins, Washington football team have done over the years. Uh, on top of all of this, I, I mentioned the last update that we have on Washington football team saga was a report from uh, Dan Snyder that he is strongly considering making the Washington football team the permanent team name. Like, don't, don't mention anything else. If you, don't, if you don't follow the National Football League and you just popped in one day and you're some, you know, someone's girlfriend that doesn't follow sports and you looked at all the team names, what is football team? That's the worst name for a NFL franchise I've ever heard of. Who came up with such a stupid name? Whoever thought of that should be fired. And that person that came, that came up with that name is Dan Snyder. You, didn't t- you don't, have to, don't tell me anything else that we just spoke about. That, that by itself should show that the man is senile, okay? Allegedly senile, okay? Because Dan Snyder's out here suing everybody left and right. Allegedly senile. Premature senility. I think, like, if it walks like a duck and it's crazy like a duck, it's a crazy duck named Dan Snyder. Okay, moving on to our third topic of the day, a story that is near and dear to, I think, all of us. We all grew up with Kobe Bryant in some way, shape, or form. So Kobe Bryant, uh, we've, we've touched on this a lot. We won't, uh, we'll refer you back to the old episodes. Maybe we'll put those in the show notes if you want a full history of the Kobe Bryant saga. But where we're at now, there have been two separate lawsuits filed by Vanessa Bryant, Kobe's wife. One was for the wrongful death action. The other was against a, it's an invasion of privacy suit against the sheriff's department for uh, illicit crash site photos. And now the first lawsuit filed against Vanessa Bryant. Now it's not uh, necessarily a countersuit. It is a lawsuit filed by all people, by Vanessa Bryant's mom, 
So, you know, I, I just want to get into it. It's, a, it's an interesting lawsuit. I mean, not necessarily so in sports, though, but I, I do want to follow this. I think this Vanessa Bryant lawsuit, it's one I do think that's going to go to trial. And all these little pieces, right, these are all pieces that the jury is going to look at for Vanessa Bryant's character. And whether whether we want to or not, that's how jury selection works. We look at character, we look at people's um, aspirations. And with respect to the Vanessa Bryant uh, first two lawsuits, I, I'm not of this opinion, um, but I've seen it enough that people think that Vanessa Bryant shouldn't be suing you know, she should allow the other surviving crash members, the family members from the crash to sue because she has, you know, Kobe passed away with an estate worth 600 million. So these are the type of things that people, I don't, I don't necessarily know why there are Vanessa Bryant bashers, but I know that they exist. So I'm just going to read from part of the story. So Sophia Lane is Vanessa's mother. So I guess she's been a babysitter in the house for a number of years. So she filed a lawsuit basically for unpaid wages that she had been a babysitter for a number of years. And basically, uh, she's alleging that Vanessa threw out of the house and didn't pay her these statements. So this is a response from Vanessa. In reality, she only occasionally babysat my older girls when they were toddlers. As of 10 years ago, our kids were full-time students and athletes, and I didn't have another child to 2016. Her claims are obviously false, but I still tried repeatedly to work things out with my mother. And now just her response, and I'll give it to you, Mike. This is from Lane. This is from Vanessa's mother. I would like to state that I do not enjoy airing our family grievances in the public. Although I filed the lawsuit, I did not make any public comments and was hoping for the court process to run its course without the publicity, as hurtful as it is. I did not want this, and I do not want this. I think, you know, we, we were coming up with topics for the show. And again, I think this Vanessa Bryant lawsuit, we don't have it in 2021, we'll have it in 2022. It's going to be it's must-see television, right? It's, we're going to have all, all, all the emotions of Kobe Bryant. I don't think this is a case that's really possible to settle just because the amount of money and controversy in these insurance policies. So this is usually one that that gets pretty close to trial. So we're probably going to have depositions in this. So all these little breadcrumbs, you know, I think are very important. So you know, it's it's not necessarily a direct sports law tie-in, but I do think it's relevant to the Kobe Bryant narrative and a lawsuit that I do think will be very big in the sports law vernacular. So Mike, let me let me toss it to you with this. At its core, right, this is almost it's not really breach of contract, right? If anything, it's like unjust enrichment. Maybe it's promissory estoppel. What do you think? Are there is there any merits to this lawsuit? So sorry, I, you like we said tonight was the. NBA tip off and, and the Lakers did reveal their championship ring with Kobe and Kobe's legacy and, and, and their engravings with, with Kobe and, and 24. With this lawsuit, this is crazy. And, and again, we're going back to TMZ. TMZ is getting all the scoops. They're getting all the comments on what Sophia and what Vanessa are saying back and forth. This podcast is not sponsored by TMZ. Not sponsored by TMZ. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. If you just look at it on its face, it looks like she's asking for child support. Uh, you know, she supposedly took care of Vanessa and Kobe's kids for you know, 18 straight years or 12 hours a day. I mean, all the all the monetary allegations. It, it breaks down to $96 an hour. Vanessa is like, this is ridiculous. This is you know, you're extorting a financial windfall. It's right now. All, all this is it's like he said versus she said. I mean. I guess it would be she said versus she said, but it just seems like they're kind of bickering back and forth, which is really unfortunate in in light of Kobe's legacy. And I think that's where people, there's a lot of people that are bashing Vanessa, but I think that's where also people are, are on Vanessa's side where it's like, why would her mother be doing this? What lack of empathy cruel punishment is this? And I know, I remember there was the issue back where when Vanessa, you know, supposedly kicked her mother out of the house. But then again, TMZ gets the scoop that Vanessa said that 
Her mother contacted her through intermediaries, alleging that she lost or that Vanessa changed her phone number. And Vanessa saying, oh, I didn't change my phone number. And that through these intermediaries, her mother was demanding $5 million, a house and a Mercedes SUV. So again, it just seems like there's a lot of like conjecture and like, I want this, I deserve this. And, and then Vanessa again was like, where's this $96 an hour coming from? But apparently, again, TMZ, Lane comes back and says that, well, Vanessa completed a rental application when she kicked me out of the house without my knowledge. And she said that I was apparently being paid $200,000 per year. And that's where they, they came up with this $96 an hour figure based on Vanessa filling out this rental application for her mother to get out of the house. So the claims are all over the place. And I almost like she's grasping at straws. She's, you know, $600 million state. Again, the Vanessa bastards are just like, some people are just like, just pay her to, uh, I guess, shut her up. I mean, you got the money, like who cares? Um, it's, it's her, <laughs> it is her mother, but it, I mean, that's, maybe that's the only reason. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, okay. So again, like this, first of all, Mike, fantastic fact finding. I don't know where you found that little nugget about the, the uh, application, but you know, um, we have a nanny. We do not pay her $96 an hour. She's fantastic. I don't know if anybody, any nanny is $96 an hour. Fantastic. I mean, like, I mean, I don't even know if I make $96 an hour. Like that's a lot of money, $96 an hour. I mean, I'm working 24 hours a day. No one's paying me $96 an hour, but then it neither here nor there. So, you know, Taryn, I, I wanted to, again, this, we want the sports a lot of time here. Vanessa, she's done a number of things, right? The Kobe and, Kobe and Gianna Helicopter Safety Act. She's really been an advocate for safety and trying to turn this negative into a positive. She's been very, she's kind of been out there and, and showing tattoos that new tattoos of Kobe. So she's, she's out there in the public sphere. So Taryn, I want you to pretend that you were a Los Angeles County juror, right? You somehow... You've sneaked your way into uh, into the jury room, even though you do not live in Los Angeles. Just pretend you did. What do you, you know, and let's say you're not a basketball fan, right? You're just kind of someone from the outside. What are your thoughts on Vanessa just seeing this lawsuit? Does this, like, does this impact your thoughts on her as a person and her, you know, and the potential that maybe, you know, just in the back of your head, maybe you're not going to award her, you know, you're going to say, hey, I'm not going to give her, you know, the, star, the stars in the, in the moon, I'm going to give her a more reasonable settlement, right? For, for any number of reasons. Maybe the fact that she has 600 million, maybe the fact that there's this weird, is any of this impacting your analysis? Yeah, well, I would have hoped that they would have done a, a, a better evaluation of who they were letting into the jury if I knew all of this information ahead of time. But <laughs> the rule is as long as you can remain impartial. So you can acknowledge that you have all these outside factors, but as long as you can say, I know this, but I can remain impartial. That's a fun fact for you guys for, for jury selection with my one trial under my belt. So I knew that. <laughs> remaining impartial from a human perspective i think that most kind nice light to view this in for vanessa's sake is that she's a, a person going through a, a terrible tragedy lost her daughter and her husband uh, at the same time and and needing to not only carry on their legacies but also deal with her children that she still has and apparently her family issues so i do i feel bad for her honestly me personally it, and, and that's how I would feel if I were in the jury room. The other way of looking at it is, okay, like she has a lot of money already and she's clearly like having some sort of money disputes and, and maybe she's not treating her mother well. I don't know. It, it seems weird to me that all of this is being discussed in the public sphere. How much conversation happened to the point where they were just saying like, okay, we, we can't talk to each other anymore. We have to do it through intermediaries. Because if, if you take it from Vanessa's point of view, she says that she offered to give her mother monthly support for the rest of her life, which 
I don't know. That that's a pretty good deal. But, <laughs> but then she's she's arguing that it's a very good deal, isn't that the whole? Isn't that what she wants? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's what like I want thing. right now. I want someone to monthly support me the rest of my life. But ninety-six dollars an hour forever, just like to sink into oblivion. <laughs> Fine. I don't need to talk about sports anymore. Just pay me. Yeah. And, and and so yeah, I, I my thought is that she's a person going through a very rough time, and there's no way that we could possibly know everything that's going on, and and I don't think that the jury's going to know that much more than what we know right now. So, I, I would hope that they wouldn't hold it against her too much and take everything for a fact. Before we move on to our final topic, let's uh, stay on basketball for a second. Not an official topic. Lakers, I think we're plus two fifty to repeat as the. NBA champions. You know, this is a sports law podcast. So we could talk a little bit of sports. It was very heavy on the law. Does anybody not like the Lakers? Is there any other team that people like here? I mean, I'm seeing the uh, uh, Lakers look pretty good to repeat. Yeah, I, I think that they got better. I think Harrell is is a really good glue guy, and I think he's going to give them some tough minutes. Giannis is great. Milwaukee made some moves in the offseason. I would like to see them make the finals just because I really like Giannis. I mean, liking him is not a good enough reason, okay? We need to... He's some... a great player. Yeah, but I mean, like... And, so... and, the, and the contract dispute is behind him. It's true. Well, I will say, Mike, I do want to hear your NBA thoughts, but I will say there is a fantastic podcast, which we li- I like recommending these. The Giannis Draft Podcast, friend of the show, or maybe future friend of the show, Woj, did a wonderful job digging into the history of Giannis. Really kind of a rags to riches story. He was like selling sunglasses in the street. He had these like grainy videos like he didn't which i thought was crazy i I thought it was bizarre his agent he didn't even know he just like some random agent was like collecting different international players and like somehow Giannis ended up on his list so i don't know so uh, the whole whole still his agent now i'm going to say 80 percent yes i'm at least that was his agent all the way up and through the draft that's great for him good business can you tell me who the wizards took in that draft i mean i'm a newfound wizards fan i have no idea I think it was Jan Besley. I think they took Jan Besley number six overall. Mike, any, uh, I mean, I have my other basketball bets, but any, any uh, particular basketball futures or, or things in the NBA you're looking forward to? Well, I, I don't think you want to hear my NBA takes because I have been trusting this damn process for so long that I think Philadelphia will implode before they win any single championship. So will the Lakers repeat? Probably. Does Everything that comes out of the bet odds on paper workout, no, the Jets won. But I mean, you've got you've got to look at you've got to look at the two best players. I mean, LeBron is fading, but he's still top tier player paired with the greatest big in the NBA right now. I mean, Anthony Davis, if he stays healthy, there's no way that they don't at least make it to the finals. They, it's it's wild to me. And Giannis is definitely MVP repeat MVP like he but he has no support unless somehow James Harden makes his way onto the box I think right now we're sitting at another Lakers championship or Mike I mean I don't not sure why maybe it's the pessimist in you I think Harden the team that he is angling toward is the Philadelphia 76ers so that can mean goodbye Ben Simmons hello beard I can't get rid of Ben Simmons I think what's going to happen Daryl Morey is going to clean house he's going to get rid of Embiid he's going to get rid of Simmons he's going to get rid of all the draft picks and they're going to redo the process. I'm just totally kidding. Okay. I just want to have this on the podcast just in case I end up being right. Bull, bull. 
27 to one for rookie of the year. Uh, that is my sneaky bet because he is uh, secretly eligible. Okay, let us transition to our fourth and final topic. That is anything and everything at the NCAA NIL uh, conversation. So again, last week we spoke about you know, name, image, and likeness really being litigated in the courts. And now we wanted to obviously have Taryn on and Taryn will talk a little bit about his paper, but we want to talk about name, image, and likeness really in, in the legislative process. So that's really with the College Athlete Bill of Rights. That's Cory Booker's legislation. And Taryn, I, I know you can speak it up much more eloquently than I can. So why don't you kind of break it down and kind of explain, you know, maybe the intricacies of that bill and, and uh, the process of maybe weeding out those differences with the other bills that are presently on the table. Yeah, so we were, we were talking about parallel issues that were moving forward in, in a different context. I think that this is another instance of parallel issues. So you guys did a great job of talking about the Alston case last week. I'm really excited to see how that turns out. Judge Wilkin in the Ninth Circuit, I think that her decisions have been really good for player rights. And this has been a movement that's been going on forever. And so there are these parallel issues and, and the, the Alston case, I think will get settled at the Supreme Court. And I really hope that they do allow education funding to be uncapped. I think that that's a great thing for student athletes. And it really emphasizes the student portion of student athletes that that isn't necessarily being emphasized if you consider that they're being steered away from certain majors. And I think that that's one interesting thing. So this week, Senator Booker from New Jersey, who played college football at Stanford, he published a bill, which is called the College Athletes Bill of Rights. And so that includes things like scholarship protection, one-time free transfers, at least, I think. It also includes some security for health and allowing players to seek medical care five years after their careers are over. It also includes a profit sharing, revenue sharing model where the schools would have to share 50% of their revenue to the uh, the athletes in the uh, in these sports and i think that that's going to be a, a no go but it does seem interesting for a long time now the NCAA's approach has been let's not play, pay the players that'll ruin the amateurism model we shouldn't do that at all and then their other uh, approach was in the alternative we need one national law so they've been pleading with Congress to sort of implement something like this that would allow them to be in charge and really secure their position within a new model that allows for player compensation. There's four or so bills that are currently out there. Another notable one in the House is with Representative Anthony Gonzalez, who played for the Ohio State Buckeyes and was a wide receiver on their football team there and then played in the NFL. And now he's a congressman in Ohio. So he's worked on a, on a bill that allows for name, image, and likeness, and uh, except for like gambling companies, cannabis, alcohol, so certain vice companies you wouldn't be able to sign with. That's one of them. And, and then another one, Senator Roger Wicker, a Republican from Mississippi, has a bill that would allow the Federal Trade Commission to oversee name, image, and likeness. So there's a ton of different approaches. And we were discussing before we, we hopped on here, but the process, I guess, from now is that uh, these bills will go through committee and the ones that survive, I think that they will meet in the middle somewhere and, and have some sort of compromise. And so that's completely separate from the current issue that's at the Supreme Court level. 
the Supreme Court issue, which you guys talked about last week, is an antitrust issue. And it's also about that those education funds that we were talking about earlier. So this is about the players seeking their ability to be compensated. Sports that aren't regulated by the NCAA, cheerleading most notably, those student athletes are able to use their name, image, and likeness and, you know, shill for companies. And, and that's a great way for them to make money. At the same time, regular students, if I were more notable, I would be able to sign a licensing agreement with somebody and, and you know, advertise for Reese's or whatever. There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm going to have a two-part answer to some of your statements there. First, Dan and I talked about this last week. This is a bipartisan approach. Everybody's in favor at this point for student-athletes to be compensated. It's, it's long overdue, and I think now there's just this kind of throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach. I mean, you have, like you said, there's a number of different bills that are coming at it from different angles, but the goal of the NCAA in the long run was to get a federal bill so it would be more in favor of them. I mean, even the the Athletes' Bill of Rights here, it has a nine-member commission that's going to give them subpoena power to, I'm using air quotes, to ensure compliance. That that gives them, that gives the NCAA a lot more power than they already had, which was already endless. And then the NCAA is going to modify their bylaws, and then it's just going to be the same thing, where you're just going to abide by whatever the NCAA bylaws are. My second point was what you were talking about with whether it's cheerleaders or golfers or some of of these non-major sports, I guess you could call them. That was the issue that was also discussed in the Austin case, because there are extra permissible benefits that some of these other student athletes already have access to. You could be a golfer and make $10,000 a year from your earning, from winnings on tournaments and things like that. You could be a cheerleader or a gymnast and go and, and make it to the, the U.S. Olympic team and make revenue off of that. There are waivers for that. So there already was these extra permissible benefits. Student athletes were able to take advantage of that. The big athletes that actually bring in, I guess you would say, the most amount of money for these schools, being the football players and basketball players, they didn't have that access. So I guess in that sense, that this is helpful for them. But, but when you think about also what was discussed in the Austin case, the whole purpose of student athletes not being paid, besides the amateurism, was this division of the a regular student. You know, uh, I went to a D3 school, not D, you know, whatever. Um, but but even my, my time at Syracuse, Syracuse Law School, like walking around, that was a big D1 school. The division of regular students and student athletes. The, the, the discussions was when you pay student athletes, it divides them and they are no longer a regular student. Again, using air quotes. That was torn apart by Judge Wilkin because she said, if you go to any major D1 campus, regular students do not have access to the facilities that student athletes have access to. That's all, You're already putting a giant wedge in between student athletes and regular students. So, so the whole thing is ridiculous. It's coming to a point now, everybody knows it's going to happen. And Dan and I, you and I talked about this last week. It's just when, when is it going to happen and how is it going to look? And now we have different branches of government all discussing this. It, it's overwhelmingly in favor of student athletes. What, what do you think, Dan? I was kind of vocal about it. Like I, I do think that just the tides of society are pushing towards athlete compensation. Now, kind of as a, as a brief aside, everyone that I talk to, right, has kind of said it's just a matter of, you know, how much athletes should get paid. It's not whether or not they should 
or should not get paid. It's just that, you know, they should, you know, whether it's going to be a full free market or whether it's be some type of reasonable cap, at, you know, whatever it is, six figures, or five figures, whatever it might be. So that said, don't, uh, you know, I, I got a call um, last week from a news outlet to do a TV interview, which I was all excited about doing on this particular topic on the Supreme Court level. And, uh, you know, it wasn't on a, you guys know me, I, I watch ESPN, I watch Fox Sports. I don't usually watch the news. I don't usually watch Fox News. So um, this was posted on their YouTube account. So I started reading the comments and the comments were essentially along the lines of why is the Supreme Court taking a case about athlete compensation when there's an issue of election fraud, right? Well, maybe there are more important things in the country other than whether athletes should get paid. So, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not going to weigh in on, on election fraud or not election fraud because that's very much outside of my wheelhouse. But there is this interesting question of, right, for, for however many years in our country, athletes could not get paid, right? So I think we're all kind of saying legislation is going to push this in the right vicinity, right? At some point, athletes are going to get paid. And right, it's going to be 2021 is the earliest that Florida can do it. That's the first state, uh, I guess, on a large level. I mean, I, I love the Supreme Court that has intervened here and right and the Supreme Court's taking this issue up because that's going to give us a lot to talk about for you know, another couple of months. But, you know, uh, not just something I hadn't thought of. Maybe there are more important things in the country than the Supreme Court taking up uh, an issue of athlete compensation. Now, I will say this. So people are asking me where I think the Supreme Court's going to come down on that same vein. If the Supreme Court is taking the athlete compensation case, they obviously see some issue with it, right? So they're either saying that the lower court didn't go far enough uh, in terms of uh, picking apart um, the antitrust defense, or they're going to say that, hey, the NCA really deserves this antitrust defense, that it shouldn't be a quasi-carve-out, that it should be the real thing. So I'm just pointing out, like the NCA, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't take this case unless they're going to do something drastic. I just don't see that making any sense. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be historical. It's going to be precedent setting one way or the other. But let's just not assume that they're taking it to kind of like, you know, bring it all home. Right. Like it just I don't know. I, I can see a world where they come in and they defend the prior uh, dicta that kind of carved out a, a, an NCA antitrust defense. I don't want that to happen, but I just I can't rule it out. So help me God, if they give a, like a baseball exemption esque. They might. Antitrust, I, I can't. I don't think it's going to be that explicit, but but you were talking about dicta, Dan, and, and there is. And the most recent time that they had taken an NCAA case was, and I think you guys touched on this last time, but NCAA versus Board of Regents for the University of Oklahoma. And that case is about TV dollars, but it's also a, another antitrust case because the, the NCAA was totally in control of the, the games that were going to be shown and the TV packages, much to their own detriment by doing that. The NCAA rarely gets out of its own way. So uh, if they do grant them uh, antitrust exemption, I think that they're really saving them from really making the game more equitable. And if you want to talk about stopping the steal, we need to be stopping the steal from the unpaid labor of the, uh, the student athletes. And the Donald that we should be considering is Donald Delahaye, who is a UCF kicker, and he monetized his YouTube page, and the NCAA cut his scholarship. And you want to talk about a difference between regular students and student athletes. Okay, a regular student can monetize their YouTube page. They do it all the time. There's so many monetized YouTube pages for these students that are totally normal students. And why are they able to make money off of their likeness when these student athletes who are putting in the hours, putting in the work, uh, why are they not able to? 
Now, the, the other thing I was going to uh, ask you guys, uh, this athlete bill of rights that uh, Senator Booker has put forth, it calls for this 50% revenue sharing where the major revenue sports, that would be Division One basketball and uh, Division One uh, FBS football, those would have to share their money, their revenues with the players 50-50. Do you guys think that that's just – a non-starter or is that really just to like drum up support? It's such a drastic shift from what we know, but at the end of the day, like it's not that crazy because in our professional sports where the athletes are making basically have a 50, 50, 50, 50% of the revenue and they also get paid salaries. So maybe if anything, right, if you're only getting 50, 50, it's 50, 50 share in college and you're not getting paid, right? Like 27 or $40 million, whatever these players are getting, there's a version of that's fair, but then there's also, you know, maybe a, a level and Taryn, you know, we were talking about this offline, you aim high and then you try to figure out how much you can get in. If you aim really high for a 50, 50 revenue split, if people are kind of uncomfortable that maybe that gets parsed down, maybe to 25% or maybe to 10%. I think it's a, it's not a crazy offer on the extreme end of, of the ask. So yeah, I don't, I don't mind it um, by any means. I'm all, I'm all about player empowerment. I, I think you ask for the moon and, and see what you can land on. There's 100% going to be pushback with that. The 50-50, I think, is, is great. It's, it's definitely student-athlete empowerment. And and the whole NCAA model is that it is a nonprofit, and then all the money is made is get pumped, you know, pumped back into the athletics and whatnot. But you have an issue of, of how that money is also going to be distributed. Okay, and then, then you talk about big-name college coaches who make, well, whatever, five, six, seven million dollars. I don't know how a school is going to divvy up this money. I don't know. I, I, I definitely agree that, that there is there is going to be pushback on the, the profit sharing, especially going into the argument, not to get down this rabbit hole, but going into the argument of like student athletes being employees. So now they're actually like legitimately making money off of their athlete. That's the whole issue that the NCAA wants to avoid. So I don't even think the NCAA is kind of on board with that. I, I think there's going to be pushback. Yeah, I, I touch on the issue of, uh, of unions also in the paper and talk about Kane Coulter. And I just wanted to plug the paper. You can look up the Student Sports Law Network. It's on their sports blog, B-L-A-W-G, and, uh, and read about it there. It's just a primer on the entire issue. Yeah, I, I think at the very least, the players need some sort of trade group. I, I think that that would help them even if they can't collectively bargain it could help them organize their thoughts with that being said Taryn, it was lovely having you on mike back-to-back weeks and we'll see if dan is still in hiding dan is actually jokes aside i asked dan what he was doing next week for the recording and he said he was going to be in siberia i thought he was kidding but um he's actually going to be in siberia his in-laws are over there so um yeah, Dan is in Siberia. So if we get an episode next week, it'll be a probably a recap episode of the stories of the year. So yeah, stay tuned for that. But one way or another, you always get another episode from us week by week. Unless, unless you know, we do three live episodes in a row, then, then we take an episode off. Mike, Taryn, anything to say before we put this episode officially in the books? Yeah, uh, Dan Wallach is definitely like a secret agent, right? If, you know, he was saying he was, I mean, this is almost, I'm going to paraphrase, but, but he said, I'm working on a, a project that's going to change the sports betting world as we know it. And I'm going to Siberia. So I don't know. It's decent. It's decent evidence right there. It's decent evidence. Mike, 
I think Siberia is definitely a cover-up. I also <laughs> thought he was joking when he said Siberia. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll be in Siberia. Uh, that's like one of those places that you're just like, you know, Siberia equals Timbuktu. If you say Timbuktu, like uh, that's Siberia. So same thing. I was joking with Dan. I told him I thought he was, I thought he was just making it up. And he goes, no, my in-laws are really from there. And he told the story that uh, Dan married obviously his wife is lovely from Siberia, uh, his in-laws from there. So he goes, I guess his friend said, Dan, if only you could have married someone from Hawaii, that would have been so much nicer this time of the year. For uh, Dan, who is uh, not here, Dan Wallach, as always, is on Twitter and Instagram at Wallach Legal. Myself, Dan Lust at Sports Law Lust. Mike is at Mike underscore son of underscore law. Spot on. Oh, and Taryn at TK Sharma Law. Nailed it. Boom. Okay, team. So uh, for all of us here, the Conduct Detrimental family, uh, wishing everybody a very happy holidays, whatever you are celebrating. And uh, we will, you'll hear us from us again before the new year. But uh, that being said, we will put this in the books and we'll see you next week on another episode. Kind of detrimental.